Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here with, with, uh, with your people, with these uh, precious believers. Thank you for the privilege it is to, uh, to worship together, to, dis- to learn about you, to discover your character, your nature, to learn about your works uh, and your beautiful and wonderful promises to your church. Uh, please bless us today, bless this service, bless this Sunday school hour. Uh, Lord, please use this information to cultivate in us uh, a heart of worship. Uh, Lord, let us not be guilty of, uh, of, of being people who honor you merely with our lips, but having hearts that are far from you and hearts and minds that are indifferent to, uh, to the truths that you have disclosed about yourself. Let that be true of us today. Amen. All right. So my endeavor today, my goal, my mission statement is for us to have a work, to have, to have an easy, brief uh, working definition for worship, for the, for the spiritual discipline of worship in, in our church and in our lives. Uh, to kick us off, I'd like to survey the group. What is worship? And I, I want—I I, want to give you a minute to think. You can, you know, if you're married, you can discuss with your spouse, or you can discuss with with the person sitting next to you, uh, or in front of you. Um, you know, and it, can can I get? Can you guys move over here, or can we move over there so that we're all together? I, I'd like a little bit more of a discussion group. Is that is that possible? I mean, if you, you can shout at each other across the, the room. Hey, Justin. Ju- Justine. 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 No. You will, you, will be in, you will be in spit range. I'm not trying to inconvenience anybody. I just, I just I want us to be able to, 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 I want to help facilitate more discussion. You will be in spit range. All right, so can you can can everyone still see the screen? Can you still see the screen? Okay, so what is worship? You guys are stalling, so you, sh- you'll ha- you should have a better answer now. Right. That's not how that works. Just in the any, any act that intentionally brings glory to God. Okay, so it's an action. An action of the heart. Other than pumping blood. Okay. It's an action. It's an action of the heart, Charles. It is a means. Late people have to sit on this side. (laughs) No, 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 no. Over here, over here, over here. Come on, come on. Group activities. I like this. I like that we're all together. We should kumbaya. Can you add that? Technically, we'd be all together even. If we were spread apart, but um, it is a, a means of ascribing worth or 
value to God uh, in anything we do. What, what's ascribing worth? What, what does it mean to ascribe? Do I need to go write something? Do I need to subscribe? <laughs> it is uh, giving proper place or, or giving uh, God what is his already. Okay, I like that. I like that. How do you get to that point? How, how do you know what to, what to give God? Get your nose in the book. Okay. Any, any, any other suggestions? Any other uh, contributions to our working definition of what worship is? It's an action. It's an action from the heart. It's, it's giving to God what, what he deserves. In our own strength, our right? Own strength. Yeah. Okay. So, is, is is this enough team building? That's that's uh, okay. So let, but, but again, by the end of the by the end of the forty something minutes, we'll we'll have a working definition. But to to progress into this, uh, I want to give a proposition. I want to propose that there are many churches and many Christians, even those who who don't attend and who don't belong to a regular church, but nevertheless think they're a part of the church and think that what they're doing is worship, there's a lot of stuff that has the appearance of worship, but really isn't. That's my proposition. There's a lot of things in the visible church and in the visible uh, uh, body of Christians that would appear, it would, it would be presumed to be worship, but it's really not. That's my proposition. What do you think are the... Contra, uh, contributing factors. What are the primary culprits that make our worship, that make man's worship um, unacceptable? The wrong motivation. So um, doing an activity because others are doing it, doing an activity simply for the sake of this is what we do. It's a routine. It's a habit. Um, tradition. Tradition. Yeah. Uh, doing an activity because it feels good. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's gonna. So I have like five or six things, and they're all in sequential order. And 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 what it does for us is like the last thing. So I can't pull that up because then it will show all the first five things. But very good. Ignorance of who God is. I think that's on the list, but that's down. Oh wait, uh, yeah, I think that's on the list, but down there. Uh, th- th- let's start with God. Yeah. Does unacceptable worship uh, arise because of a low view or a high view of God? <laughs> Yes. So one of the primary culprits is a low view of God. Uh, typically, unacceptable worship uh, is affected by a high view of, yeah, high view of man. Um, uh, this what you, you, Charlie, you said ignorance, right? So an an, an unbiblical or an ignorant view of what the church is and and uh, what the mission, what the purpose of the church is, who makes up the church. Uh, is the church just anybody who who thinks who professes to be a Christian? Um, is, does the church include uh, God seekers, uh, people who are kind of riding the fence and you know need need forty days to decide whether or not they want to keep up with this Christian thing, or is it only regenerate people who have been converted? So, uh, 
cultural and kind of with tradition, cultural influence upon the church. Uh, there are others that this isn't exhaustive, but these are just the things that feed into uh, why our worship in our culture is commonly not acceptable. So in uh, um, Disciplines of a Godly Man, I didn't remember what dogum stood for. Disciplines of a Godly Man, uh, Kent Hughes says this. And this is a summary, uh, a summary statement. Many Christians have never thought through the meaning and importance of worship. It is not an overstatement to say that our pleasure-centered culture has produced many who work at their play and play at their worship. Why this confusion and tragic failure regarding worship? The answer lies in another question. Why do we worship? Is it for God or for man? The unspoken but increasingly common assumption for today's Christendom is that worship is primarily not for God, but for us to, to meet our needs. Such worship service, services are entertainment-focused, and the worshipers are uncommitted spectators who are silently grading the performance. From this perspective, preaching becomes geared towards felt needs, and biblical information is minimized. Sermons are short and full of stories. Anything and everything that is suspected of making the marginal attender uncomfortable, or you might have heard the term the unchurched, uh, anything that is that makes them uncomfortable is removed from the service, uh, such as scripture, taken to the nth degree. And this philosophy instills a tragic self-centeredness. And this this goes to what uh, some someone said: everything is judged by how it affects us. Everything is judged by how it makes me feel. That doesn't make me feel happy. That doesn't make me feel good about myself. So we're going to toss that out. Okay, so there are. This is perhaps one of the most bizarre things that I have uh, read about in examples of unacceptable worship. Uh, in 1978, at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, um, the Episcopal, the then Episcopal Bishop of California, welcomed the transcendentalists of the Bay Area into a nature festival, uh, which was really more of a pagan ceremony. And uh, the, there's an article in Harper's Magazine that, that describes it like this. During one of these nature ceremonies in the, in the cathedral, a decidedly ecumenical audience watched reverently as poet Allen Ginsberg, and I, I just looked him up on Wikipedia last night, bizarre man, bizarre man, uh, out, poet Allen Ginsberg, wearing a deer mask, joined others, and this is all in a church, this is all within a church, allegedly uh, presuming, you know, with, with a veneer of being worshipped. Allen Ginsberg is wearing a deer mask. Uh, that would particularly frighten you right now, right? Too soon? Too soon. Okay. Ask Daniel. Yeah, ask Daniel about that later. Um <laughs> Okay, so he so he's wearing a deer mask. He joins others similarly garbed to ordain Senators Alan Cranston and John Tunney as godfathers of animals. Cranston was the godfather of the tool elk, uh, and Tunney was the godfather of the California brown bear. 
So all this is happening while movie projectors are simultaneously casting images of buffalo herds and other endangered species on the walls and ceilings to the accompaniment of rock music. Now, some of you, some you know, the, the more hard, hard-hearted, uh, no, no, that's not the word. The, the more, the more deeply ingrained fundamentalists out there probably were more offended at the rock music than any of the other stuff. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one of the that's something that I think 99% of Christendom would look at that and go, that's not worship. That's obviously not worship. If anyone in here does think that, that was worship, I'd like to see you in my office this week. Um, other more recent and less apparently blasphemous examples would be uh, sermon, uh, uh, si- significant portions of the sermon being replaced with things like TED Talks. Everyone know what TED Talk is? Uh, I remember. I can remember precisely uh, where we were, where Jen and I were. We were driving back from a, a trip up to Oregon, up to the Oregon West Coast. We're driving back in the road. I remember exactly where we were in the Northern California Hills. When I'm listening to this, I'm listening to this sermon, and I, I, I thought, like, am I listening to Oprah? Am I like, what, what is this? This is going on in a church. About 45 minutes of the sermon material was a was I mean the guy basically introduces this TED talk recording. He, the, the pastor goes and sits down, and the 95% of the sermon time is being taken up listening to a TED talk. And sometimes you'll hear, uh, you may hear uh, brief quotes, brief ex, brief excerpts or clips, you know, being 30 seconds a minute. In one in this case, this was like 45 minutes of the sermon is. You know, you're, you're listening to some motivational speaker, or you may be listening to, you know, Oprah clips or whatever the, 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 the trending thing is right now. That is not worship. You may see um, you may see movie clips. You may see movie themed sermons where where the point of the sermon is actually being exegeted from the movie. I have heard these sermons as well. They typically come out during the summer. Uh there have been gimmicks like firing small persons, I probably shouldn't say midgets, uh, firing vertically, cha- vertically challenged persons from cannons on, on the, the stage. There have been motocross bike jumps on stage. There has been, uh, on, on at least one case, a pastor who uh, from the second or third level of the, of the sanctuary ziplined down onto the stage uh, there was one uh, we li- listened to. We were driving to our Santa Monica Bible study, uh, and we were. Do you remember that time we went like through that area about uh, uh, Bel Air? We were driving through Bel Air, and the sermon was basically exchanging cooking recipes and cooking tips for a sermon. And then. One that just takes the cake is uh, a pastor and his wife teaching from a bed that they had put on the rooftop of the church. They were supposed to be up up in the bed for like a month or for 40 days or something. And if you don't believe me, they are Ed and Lisa Young. Um, This, like, about five to ten years ago, uh, this was like one of the biggest, most promising-looking um, purpose-driven churches. I, I think they're in Texas. I'm not sure, but I mean, th- this isn't a church of like 100, 200 people. This is a church of thousands of people. Yeah. 
So there, he's preaching from there. So that's just that's just to show you that there's some really wacky stuff that most of Christendom would look at and go, that's not acceptable. And then there's stuff that increasingly uh, the margin of Christians who might tolerate that builds. There's things that that's obviously not acceptable and things that's like, well, I don't know. So in light of the fact that the Bible is abundantly clear, God is concerned about worship. I mean, no one's no one's uh, phased about that. Right. We're not we're not. That's not a foggy issue here. God is concerned about worship in light of that. There's some questions that we should ask. Do we have a biblical definition of worship? Do we have a definition of worship that pleases God? And if we do, are we actually carrying out that definition? Is, is it, you know, some churches have doctrinal statements saying this is what we believe, this is what we practice, this is what we exercise, but it's on a, it's on a document in a filing cabinet in the basement with two inches of dust on it. You know, so do we have a, a biblical definition of worship that pleases God and are we actually doing something with it? Okay, so there's three more questions to ask that will help us uh, derive a uh, working definition of, of what worship is. The first is, what are the means of worship? How, how do we worship? What, what is, you know, uh, no, you said worship is an action. No, you said worship is an action. Yeah, so what are we supposed to be doing? What, what does worship require that we do? What are the agents of worship? What does, uh, I mean, how do we worship? What, what helps us? What equips us? What enables us? Um, what aids do we have to worship? And then the third is, what are the spheres of worship? You, you could ask, where does one worship? So let's look at the first one. What, is, what are the means of worship? Worship is focusing, and then uh, I think what... One of you two said, giving to God, Charlie said, giving to God what he deserves. This is uh, responding to God. And this is, uh, this is why I asked, you know, how do you know what we are supposed to give to God? That comes from focusing, thinking, and then, uh, uh, and I like the word focusing because it, it, it implies a concentrated, um, effort, efforted, efforted thinking. It is, worship is focusing and thinking uh, focusing and responding to God. Uh, okay. Let me get my Bible here. Okay, Revelation 4. You can turn to Revelation 4 and then put your finger in uh, 5. Focusing on God and then responding appropriately. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. 
And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed. So, looking at this, why... You know, if we're going to be focusing on God, we need to, we need to look at, at what is it about God that, that we need to focus on. Why are the 24 elders worshiping? What, what are they focusing on about God? From verses 4 to 11. His works. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they say that's their, that's their response. Worthy are you. You have worth. But just looking at these four verses, what what does this passage tell us about God that makes him worthy? Yeah, he's a creator. Um, yeah, he's the creator of, of everything. Everything came from him. Um, what else? Otherly, yeah. Holy, holy, holy. Separate, distinct, unique. What else? He's eternal. He lives forever and ever. Yeah. Verse 9. He, he does not expire. He doesn't end. He doesn't die. What else? Yeah. Well, and what, what, look at verse 8. What, what does verse 8 tell us about his strength? The all. The all almighty. He's almighty. See, is there anything else? Yeah, and 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 uh, we already talked about his power. So, do you, do you see how they're focusing on his attributes? They're focusing on his qualities and on his character. And then, what is their response? Yeah, and they say, "You are what." Yeah, and uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Does verse eight say that they just say it once and call it a day? They so don't do, seize day and night. Yeah. So do you see? There is a focusing. There is a thinking. There, there is a, a a thinking about who and what God is and what He's done, and then there is a response to Him. The the knowledge of God uh, uh, directs or influences. The response. Look at five twelve. I don't even have to flip the page. So, what, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What do we what What do we observe about the Lamb and what's the response because of that observation? He was, yeah. Now, you, now there is a whole bunch of theology and history folded up into that word, and and you know, being being people who have the other sixty-five books, we can we can piece together what that is. But we are when you're looking at that, you're focusing on something about Christ, and then what's the response to him? What's the what's the response because of that observation? You're ascribing 
worthiness. So worship is focusing or, or intense thinking about God and then responding to God. Look at, um, let's just do a couple psalms. Look at Psalm 3. Uh, verses 3 to 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. All right. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. And I'll also read uh, read verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. So what do we learn about God? And we don't need to to go super, um, we don't need to look at every detail, but just tell me one or two things about God, and then what's the response, what's David's response? So he's a shield. He's a shield. He's our glory. And then what is what is uh I like verse four. What does verse four say about God? Yeah, he hears. David was crying, God heard him, God answers, God responds. What's David's response? Verse 6, because he knows God hears him, because he knows God is his shield, even if 10,000 folks are coming coming down to knock down his door, what's David's response? He will not fear. He won't be afraid. Look at, um, let's do Psalm 103. Fifteen. As for man, his days are like grass. As a f- flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind passes over, it's no more. Its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. Um, the th- The Lord has established his throne, verse 19, in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Just from those few few verses we looked at, what do we learn about God? What do we observe? What can we focus on about God in this? So 15 and 16, we're in direct contrast to everything else. Yeah, um, what God man, is not. Right. Man is this. God is not that. He's the exact opposite in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and these are many of the ways. And the reasons then he concludes with, because God is different from man in all these ways, here's our response or what. And what is the response? Should be what, what is David calling? It says, "Bless the Lord." Yeah, 
praise the Lord, worship the Lord, because of these things that not only do we see in the verses we looked at, but the rest of the psalm. So I just want us to see, and you know, there's there's a number of psalms I, I, I originally wanted us to look at, but that clock is uh, needs to be slowed down a little bit because it's going too fast. But I just want you to see, worship is looking at what the Word of God, what does God say about Himself, what what does He reveal about Himself. What can we learn from that? How do we, uh, we need to focus on that. And then what response, what is the appropriate response to that focusing on the revelation of God? First uh, Samuel 16, that, that's the one that says, um, you know, when David's brothers are bought, brought before Samuel and, and God says, don't look at them. I, I have not chosen him. Um, for, you know, he looks, he looks amazing. He looks wonderful. But God doesn't look at the outer appearance like man, like man does. Where does God look? Yeah. So, so we observe, we, fo- we can focus on the fact that God sees the heart. Man, man only sees the, ex- the outer appearance. Man's, God sees the heart. What's the response to that? I would say probably... Well, I mean, there, there's a, I don't know if there's any one particular, but sincerity. Um, yeah. Not not uh, not thinking that you can pull one over on God. Not thinking you can hide something from God. Being, being uh, confessing your sin because you know that he can see it anyway. That's a, that's a response of worship. Um, Genesis 1-1, we, we already looked at that from the psalm. In the beginning. We can observe the fact that God was there before everything else. Therefore, the right response would be to, uh, since he's been around for a long time, he knows what he's doing. He knows how things are because he made everything. Okay. So what if, what if I don't have that response to God? You know, David is calling us, you know, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. What if we don't have that response to God? Should we just fake it? Should we fake it till we make it? What do you think? Do it, should, if, if we're not feeling it, should we just go through the motions? What do we need to do? If, if, if I'm just, if, if this sermon is just, or, or the songs that Daniel put is, has picked this week, if they are just not, you know what? I just don't like these songs. It's not doing it for me. Where does the problem lie? Okay, so when when I was putting this together, I I was thinking in the context of a sermon. The problem is either with the one who is facilitating the worship, uh, or or um, escorting the congregation into worship, which would either be Daniel during the music portion of the service, or it would be me when I'm explaining the the scripture, when I'm opening the word of God for you and making it known. The problem is going to either be with with one of us. You know, whoever is whoever is doing this, or it's going to be with you. Okay. So the so the point the point where I was going with that is the pro the problem is is. Or the, where I was going with that is, 
if you are not feeling it, and we all have times like this, we need to we need to double down back in the scripture and, and we need to think harder. We need to think more about what does the word say about God because the truth about God, if if we really saw God as he is, you know, if if God were to just were were to just uh, if if the Lord Jesus Christ were to just manifest right here, you know, if we were to have a theophany or a Christophany, and he were to appear like he did in Revelation, nobody would go, oh, wow, it's Jesus. Oh, that's cool. What, what, is, what is the uniform reaction when, when men see the divine? What is the uniform reaction in Old Testament and in New Testament from beginning to end? Stupefied, yes. Stupefication. If God is so glorious, he is so good and glorious, I am convinced we will never, ever get bored or tired of worshiping him in heaven. You know, because we, we read about, you know, they will worship him forever and ever. And, you know, you and I think, man, there are some sermons that sure seem like they take forever and ever. Uh, the weakness is either with me or with or with us. If we are rightly thinking about God, the emotions will come. Okay, so so focusing, responding to God. Okay, so what are the agents of worship? We worship in spirit and truth. Where am I getting this from? John, John. Four, woman, woman at the well. John four, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will spirit will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. You know, Jesus often repeats Himself when it is important to get what He's saying. So we must worship in spirit and truth. Having the spirit is the prerequisite for acceptable worship. Without the Holy Spirit, no worship can happen or will happen. Uh, John 3, 3 and 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So if you don't have the spirit... You can't see the kingdom. You're not a part of the kingdom. How are you going to offer worship worthy of the kingdom? So you have to have the spirit. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says, No one can say, and this isn't talking about just saying the words. This is, this is a, uh, talking about a confession from the heart, a, a sincere confession. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And then this is, we don't need to make this any more difficult than it needs to be. Worshiping in truth means worshiping him in the truth that God has given us. Uh, I, I just, I tried to just put everything that could be used to describe something in the Bible, a statement, a proposition, a claim, a truth claim, a charge, a promise, a warning, a forthtelling, a prophecy, whatever God has revealed is truth. We worship him in light of what he has revealed. So, 
what, what's our working definition so far? Worship is focusing and re focusing and responding to God in where, where do I point for spirit? I don't, spirit. What, what's this? What's Chelsea? What sign for spirit? Yeah. Sign like sign language. Okay. So, okay. So yeah, the, I'll, I'll, in spirit, in truth. Okay. So let's 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 hear it. Worship is focusing and responding to God in and truth. Okay. So what are the spheres of worship? Publicly and privately. Gotta say it like a Brit. It's more authentic. Publicly and privately. Okay. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna get to that. Um, okay. So let's look at let's look at publicly first. So we see in the in the Psalms. We see a, a, a large number of, of cases where the psalmist is calling the people, calling the kingdom, calling the assembly to worship. Uh, take the New Testament letters. Are most of the letters written to people or to assemblies? Yeah. So, uh, and then the words that, that uh, mo- looks like, ah, uh, mostly Paul. Well, the, 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 the terms that the New Testament uses to describe the church, these are words that describe uh, uh, things where the, 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 the pieces, the parts, have a, have a direct dynamic relationship to the whole. Uh, in Acts 20.28, 20, the church is called the flock of God. In 1 Corinthians 12.12, 12, it's, it's the body. Uh, Ephesians 2.19, it's the household. Ephesians 2.21, it's the structure. <sighs> yes. And then 1 Peter 2.5, it's a house. So all of these are, are, are word pictures of things where, the, where all the pieces are functioning together. You know, in a house, you don't have one isolated uh, uh, lone brick you know, out on the edge of the property and the brick is thinking, I'm a house. I'm a house all by myself. I, I fulfill all the functions of a house. No, it's, he's just one part of the whole. Okay. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Tell me what parts of this do you think emphasize the, 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 the corporateness, the, 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 the togetherness of worship? The underlined ones. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So we're we're confessing the same thing. It's not I have my confession. Justin has his confession. We have the same confession, without wavering. For he who promised us is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not and here it is in plain statement. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We can't encourage one another unless we assemble together, unless we are in each other's lives. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And there's a number of graces that we simply cannot have unless we publicly 
uh, assemble together, singing corporately, hearing the exposition of the word. And don't and don't say no one. Uh, someone's going to say, "Well, I can I can listen to a sermon on the internet. I can Skype in a church. No, you can't." Uh, praying corporately, like like Sharon said, communion. You know, when we think that we have been united to Christ, we've been united together unto Christ. Uh, you can't you can't have communion by yourself. Uh, the sobering effects of church discipline. You know, ha, has anyone ever gone through? Uh, been in a church when church discipline was exercised okay not not most of the time that doesn't happen that is a sobering effect that can't happen if you are if you don't assemble in a church the joy of seeing you know this is the exact opposite the joy of seeing the body growing to maturity you can't that doesn't happen unless you're in the church you can't minister to others or be ministered to by others you know, and, and uh, we all know Philippians 2, you know, bearing one another's burdens, thinking each other is more important than ourselves. First Peter 4.10, we've all been given a, 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 a gift according to the myriad of God's grace, like a manifold. That doesn't happen unless we assemble together. Private worship. Okay, I'm going to do this in a minute. Meditation. You know, you can't really meditate. When you, uh, uh, just as there are some things you can't do unless you're in a group, you can't meditate unless you are isolated, unless you are alone. When when you when all the kids are in your house, do you, can you meditate? Okay. Journaling, journaling. This is this is simply meditating with paper. Me- meditating and praying with paper. This is writing down your thoughts, writing down your prayers. Uh, private prayer. I mean, I guess you could just check out, zone out, and pray. You know, put those glasses on that have the eyeballs, and so it looks like you're paying attention, but you're really praying to God or sleeping. Fasting. I mean, I guess I guess you could fast uh, when you're in a group, but it's more often when you're alone. You could practice your singing for Sunday by yourself. Most I think most people would be happy. Uh, and then keeping your fire lit during the week. Uh, I, I heard uh, uh, was it Kent Hughes talked about. Um, if you if you leave, but this was back in the day when people had you know ovens and, and stoves that they used on a regular basis. If you get up at six in the morning when it is stone cold and you try to start a fire, how easy is it to start that fire? The wood the wood is cold, the oven is cold, the whole house is cold. Compare, uh, is is it easier to, to, to start it if you had a fire going the night before and there's still a bunch of embers in it? Yeah, you don't you don't have to put much effort into getting that thing lit again. Well, same thing is is uh, engaging in private worship during the week keeps your soul lit, so that on Sunday morning, it doesn't take that much effort to get into that emotional place. Don Whitney rightly asks this question, can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day when they barely flicker for him in secret on other days? Could it be that our corporate worship experience is often dissatisfying because we do not pursue satisfying worship in private? Okay, so it's 10, my clock says 10.15, so as long as I end within, within the next 30 seconds, we're good. 
What are the means of worship? Worship is focusing and responding. That's not a Hadouken. Focusing and responding to God in truth. All right. Good. All right. All right. Well, any any questions before we close? you wound up in one of those churches and you truly are a believer with the things you point out you should be wanting to get out of there in a hurry right is that your whole point well so that 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 opens up a whole smorgasbord of of considerations um there are there are different there are primary reasons to like there are reasons to leave a to look for another church asap and there's there's uh occasions for which Maybe you need to start thinking about it. You know, if they're not, if they are preaching heresy, get out. If they are, you know, if, if they are preaching another gospel, get out. If they are preaching um, uh, theistic moral, uh, or what, what was that term that we heard last night? Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Yeah. Basically, just kind of go with the motions and feel good about yourself. You know, that's another gospel. Um you know, if, if okay, if, if you're ever in a church where there where a guy is in a deer mask and he's ordaining senators to be you know bishop of the bear and bishop of the elk, get out. Um, if you know, but if you're in a church where you know um, you know if someone comes up to you and says you know we're going to this church but the the you know I don't really like the music, uh, you know it it, it it seems to be kind of man centered. You know, and the, and the preaching, you know, it's kind of okay, but, you know, that that's not, uh, I don't think that is a definitive grounds to pull the plug. You know, you could approach your elders, you could approach your pastors, and you could say, you know, that you have some concerns, and, and see, you know, depending on how the pastor responds, you know, if he's offended, how dare you tell me how I should be doing my job? Um, you know, if you, if you try to reason with him according to Scripture, the Bible says this is what you should be doing, how he responds is going to, I think, is going to tell you uh, whether or not you should look for another church down the road. So there, there's typically not just one or two things that could be going on that would tell you whether or not to pack up and go. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I what. What. What, what I, why I started with that was to start with things that would obviously be unacceptable uh, in action. And then I, tr- I tried to go more towards what should our, what should our attitude fo- and focus, what should be the primary concern be? It should be doing things because we have learned about God. We are, we are doing certain things as the appropriate response to what the Word of God says about God. Within the, within the sphere and within the means that he's given us, in spirit and truth, both individually and as a corporate body. Did I just, was that fuzzy? Okay, well, I need to, uh, maybe I'll try to make it more fuzzy later, but we'll, we need to, I need to close. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your, uh, for your many graces. 
thank you for your patience with us who, uh, who often um, have given uh, unacceptable worship to you. We thank you that even those trespasses, even those offenses are covered by the blood of Christ. And you have shown us how to worship you uh, according to your Holy Spirit and according to your truth. Help us to do that. Lord, let us not be, um, let us not be vain worshipers. Let us know who you are. Let us know what you've said. And let us respond appropriately to those things. Amen.